after I, I sensed that God was, was saying to me, start teaching on the subject of faith and just keep going until you exhaust the topic. And I've shared that with a few people around the traps and most of them say, well, that probably means that's all you're going to preach on for the rest of your life because it really is a topic that you can never truly exhaust. But given that we've just celebrated Easter, I really thought it appropriate that I speak on what you might call post-resurrection faith. You know, it's very easy for us as we read the Old Testament to begin to believe that our faith needs to be based on the Old Testament law. Well, in fact, it isn't. And uh, it's so easy, for example, to say to read through the Psalms and then have a look at some of the other historical books in the Bible and, and you begin to believe that you have to live under some kind of law. But in fact, we don't. And uh, I don't even like the idea that we should be entirely focused on the cross. And the reason for that is that Jesus actually rose from the dead on the third day. And he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of his father. So I like to think of myself as a post-resurrection Christian. And I have a post-resurrection faith. In other words, I have a faith which is based on the truth of God's word after the fact of Jesus' death, burial, rising to life again, and his ultimate ascension into heaven. And I think it's really important that we understand about what I term post-resurrection faith. I want to take you back, those of you who were with us last Sunday at Easter United, and a number of us were able to get to Easter United. It was a good, a good evening, actually. The first time that churches around the Gold Coast have actually got together for a combined event for some 18 years. 85 churches had signed up to be involved, including at Nightlife Church. I think there were about 20 of us there. We had a pretty fair contingent there. Good music, great worship, and a good word that was brought by Stu Cameron. Now, Stu's a pretty well-known pastor on the Gold Coast. He's built up quite a large uniting church at Rabina. They've actually got waterfront land. It's, it's beautiful. If ever you have the opportunity to go to New Life Uniting Church, go. It's, it's, it's just beautiful. And as Jews built it up, they fairly recently completed extensions to their main auditorium. It seats 800 people now. Uh, so he's, he's really had significant influence around the Gold Coast. Now, he was the main speaker at Easter United. And he said something, he actually said it twice during his presentation. And I really pricked up my ears. In fact, I nearly tweeted it. But I was so focused on what he was saying that I actually didn't get around to tweeting that quote from, from Stu. But this is what he said. He said, the sole purpose of faith is to respond to God's grace. Now, I think that's worth saying again. The sole purpose of faith is to respond to God's grace. Now, Stu was speaking primarily about salvation 
through Jesus Christ, about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And his focus, of course, was on the Easter message, on the, the resurrection of Jesus. And in Stu's presentation, he was saying that there's an invitation for us to respond, to actually surrender, to submit to Jesus Christ. And he called that response or submission faith. The sole purpose of faith is to respond to God's grace. I thought that was a brilliant statement. Now it's interesting too that there are others who have said something quite similar. Jeanette and I often listen to uh, Creflo Dollar, Andrew Womack, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, uh, Joseph Prince, a whole bunch of preachers whom many people would call grace or word of faith preachers. They get a lot of criticism, but I, I actually think that if you listen to them, for pro you've probably got to listen to them for a couple of months before you get a bit of a feel for where they're coming from. But I actually think they are biblical in their preaching, and I'm not prepared to join the chorus of those who criticise. Just remember, there's about 400 million people in the United States, so there will always be someone who has their own website to criticise every preacher in the United States. So they get plenty of criticism. But it's interesting, I think, that Creflo Dollar says it like this, faith is our reasonable response to what God has provided by his grace. Faith is our reasonable response to what God has provided by his grace. Andrew Womack is another um, faith preacher or grace preacher who defines faith in a very similar way. He uses very similar words. And there's some similarity between that and what Stu Cameron said, although I acknowledge that the context in which Stu was, was speaking was primarily about Easter and primarily about salvation through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's just interesting to me that his position doesn't seem to me to be all that different to that of many other spirit-filled Pentecostal preachers and teachers. The main difference is that, in Stu's case, very strong emphasis on salvation, but when you look at people like Creflo Dollar, the Copelands, uh, Andrew Womack, Joseph Prince, Joyce Meyer, I know um, we've got a couple of people in here who are big fans of Joyce Meyer. We saw her last time she was in Australia. Uh, we saw the Copelands last time they were in Australia. We went and listened to Andrew Womack and Creflo Dollar when they were in Australia last year as well. I actually took a couple of days off work so I could um, hear them. And uh, Creflo Dollar's wife, Taffy, she's a brilliant preacher too. She's absolutely outstanding. So um, we've, I guess, knocked around in those circles for probably 20 years or so now. And this is the big difference between them and some others would be that they say, well, God's grace extends not only to providing us the way of salvation, but providing for our divine health and divine prosperity. And as it turns out, that's exactly what Australian Christian churches believe. It's in our statement of doctrine, and I'll show you that in a few minutes. So here we are 
after Easter, we're talking now, as it were, post-resurrection, Jesus has accomplished everything he came to earth to accomplish. That is, he came to completely fulfil the word of God concerning new covenant. We're translated from the old covenant, as the Bible actually says, that we go from glory to glory. We go from the glory of the old testament or the the law under the old covenant to the greater glory as Paul says of the new covenant and in the new covenant among other things as we've seen a few weeks ago God has provided for us an eternal inheritance and eternity starts now and that inheritance includes divine health and divine prosperity and if we're not walking in divine health today then the blood of Jesus provides healing And if we're not walking in prosperity today, then the blood of Jesus provides us with a way out. It's really interesting. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to four or five podcasts that are about prosperity. And uh, we're not talking about people who have suddenly acquired millions of dollars or billions of dollars. We're talking about people who over a long period of time exercise the wisdom of God to build wealth. Now, this is not a boast, but I actually know how much Jeanette and I are worth in in dollar terms. We're worth just under $1.2 million. Take away all of our debt. That's our net worth. Now, we can't go and spend that money. Some of it's in our house. We started out with nothing. Our parents weren't rich enough even to contribute a single cent to our wedding, which, by the way, cost $500 in 1981. They couldn't. So we didn't come from privileged backgrounds, but over a long period of time. I've been at this for 40 years, by the way. There's no time like today to start. And God will give you the wisdom to build up a wealth, um, a store of wealth over a period of time. So God has provided through Jesus. Every time we take communion, I love the fact that Ignite Life Church, we take communion every week. I really love that. It's not because I have an Anglican background. I grew up as an Anglican. I was a server in the Anglican church. I actually wanted to become an Anglican bishop because I really liked the gear they wear. You know, I, I thought I'd look pretty good carrying the bishop's crook and wearing the mitred, the mitred hat and all that kind of stuff. And when I was about 13 or 14 years of age, the, the bishop actually came to visit me at home. Bishop Arthur, he was a, Basil Arthur was his name. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. And um, I can't remember exactly why he came to visit me. I know that there was a confirmation service. That was, that's when you become eligible to take communion in the Anglican church, usually around 12 or 13 years of age. And I was a server and I was on the serving team for the particular um, service where confirmation was taking place. I think he just came around to my house to, to run through what we now call a run sheet, right? All, all the bits and pieces that we're going to have. And he was an absolutely wonderful man. But I do remember he drove a Valiant VIP, which back in those days had single seats in front, an automatic gearbox and a vinyl roof. It was a really luxurious motor car. And I thought, that's what I want. So I have to become a bishop. You know, kids have funny ways of processing, don't they? Well, okay, I'm not a bishop, but I'm nearly a pastor. 
I'm half a pastor, right? I've got my provisional credentials and I'm actually getting it um, like the little award thingy on the 23rd of April. If you want to come, you can. I'll provide you some information on that next week. It'd be really good to have a cheer squad, eh? Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that perhaps next week. But you see, God has provided for our divine health and our divine prosperity. So the state in which Christians should live post-resurrection, one is saved, two is living a life of divine health, we don't even get sick, and three, living a life of divine prosperity, where we're actually able to provide everything that we have need of, everything that we need in order to fulfil the purpose for which God has actually called us to as individuals. Right? is to fulfil, we need to have what it takes to fulfil God's call in our lives and then have some left over to bless those who are not in as good a position as we are. But you see, Satan is trying to rob us of everything. He's actually trying to rob us of our salvation by filling our heads and our hearts up with deceit. Like, you've got to live like an Old Testament person and you don't like well I'm always going to be sick I've got a chronic disease he's trying to rob you of your wealth as well so Satan is trying to rob us of what Jesus Christ won for us on the cross and one of the reasons why we take communion is to remember what Jesus Christ obtained for us on the cross. And one thing we also need to be careful of, this isn't in my notes, but it's a kind of by the way, you know what, if we don't live lives that are the very epitome of post-resurrection faith, you know what, it's okay. We were talking prior to the service, uh, Mark and Pamela, Harney, Jeanette and I, just as we finished up our little prayer time, we were talking about the fact that, you know, we're not there yet. None of us are. None of us have got to the point where we can ever boast that we've got perfect post-resurrection faith. I haven't. Jeanette hasn't. These guys reckon they haven't, although, no, I reckon they do all right. But, and we heard their testimony a few weeks ago, and by the way, it is available on iTunes, and if you weren't here to hear it, go and listen to it. You will just be absolutely amazed and encouraged. You'll be thrilled by the testimony of Hani's healing as a little preschooler. Um, it is available on iTunes. All you've got to do is just search for Ignite Life Church Gold Coast on iTunes and you'll be able to find it, no problem at all. But, you know, what we have to understand is we're all at different stages in our journey and not all of us are going to be right up there on top of everything all the time. I'm not there, so don't look to me as an example. None of us are, but we're all on the way. And I want to talk more about that very, very soon. So that I don't want you to go away feeling condemned because you don't live in a big flash house like Creflo Dollar does. You haven't just bought the latest Gulfstream um, corporate jet like Kenneth Copeland has. Right? So if you just drive around in a ute that you borrowed from your dad, well, that's okay for today. It's okay for today. 
As I've said, one of the things that separates Christianity from other faiths is that in Christianity it's okay to aspire to something better. Jesus wants to take us on and up all the time. So wherever you happen to be today, it's okay. As long as you have an aspiration to do better in the future. And that's in every area of life. That's to walk out your Christian life. That is to live a life which isn't dogged by bouts of sickness and to live a life that is a prosperous life. That's where Jesus wants to take us. Why? Because the Father loves us. That's why. Because the Father loves us. I want to suggest that there are three faith responses to grace. Just harking back to Stu Cameron's comment that the sole purpose of faith is to respond to God's grace. Here are three faith responses for the post-resurrection Christian. And the first is water baptism. Now, I'm going to read out a couple of scriptures. There are many scriptures, actually, that, that bring out each of the three points that I'm making. But because we haven't got all day, I've only taken a very small number of scriptures in, in two cases, one only. And then for holiness, I've got two scriptures. So after we've actually made that choice to become followers of Jesus Christ, to submit to the headship of Christ in our own lives, the next faith response is water baptism. And we actually had our very first water baptisms at Ignite Life Church in November last year. A, a real milestone in our own growth. But in, in Australian Christian churches and certainly at Ignite Life Church, we believe that water baptism is a, it's a public statement that you make that I am actually crucifying my flesh. I am dying to myself. And that happens when we go into the water of baptism. And when we rise up, we're coming alive to the new life in Christ. That's what it symbolises. Now, you don't have to be baptised in water in order to be saved. It's not, it's not a condition for your salvation. It's a faith response to the salvation that God has provided to us by his grace. In Acts 8.12, we read this. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptised. And that was the pattern that was established in the early church. People would hear the gospel. They would hear the truth. They would hear the word of God from people who actually knew Jesus, or in the case of Paul, who had witnessed the effect that Jesus had had during his ministry on earth. And here we have Philip who's preaching the message of the gospel. People heard it. They believed it. And their response was to be baptised. A second faith response to grace is baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we typically focus on that on Pentecost Sunday, which happens 50 days after um, Easter. So Pente actually means five in Greek. Uh, Pentecost was a particular festival. It was the festival of tabernacles. We talked about that uh, last year and we will, we will 
um, focus on it again in a few weeks' time on Pentecost Sunday. But you have the Holy Spirit living in you when you are saved. That's that one of the things that happens, in fact, the most important thing that happens at the point of your salvation is that your whole spirit is regenerated. It becomes renewed because the Holy Spirit actually comes, as it were, to live inside you. The Bible says that your body, your, your physical body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as I'm looking out over this vast crowd today, hallelujah, words of faith there, but as I, as I look out over you, you fabulous people actually, because it is so encouraging to see people in the seats. You believe in me, it is. It's a great encouragement. But as I look, see, I'm looking at temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Even those of you way up the back. <laughs> Especially for Antonia. Do you know she's a photographer? If you need someone to do photography, she does great. For she took a photo of me yesterday. And if anyone can take a good photo of me, that means they're very, very talented. Also, if they can catch me with my mouth closed, that means they're very, very quick, right? So the second, the second faith response to grace is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism in the Holy Spirit is really about an empowerment from the Holy Spirit to live your life as God intends you to do and to fulfil the call that God has placed on you as an individual and to actually carry out specific assignments that he gives you. It's an empowerment to actually become an ambassador of Jesus Christ to be able to boldly take the message of the gospel and share it with others. Let me read from you Matthew uh, let me read for you Matthew 3 verse 11. This is John the Baptist, the man who was called John the Baptist, he was the cousin of Jesus born just a few months before Jesus was. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So this baptism, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is about being empowered to become everything that God intends you to become. So that's the second faith response to grace. The third is holiness or sanctification. Now sanctification is a, a big word. It appears a number of times in the Bible. It actually means the same thing as holiness because exactly the same Greek word is translated both ways. Now I'm not sure why it is that the translators of the Bible going all the way back to the King James Version have used two different words for the same Greek word. I don't know enough. I've never studied Greek. I don't know enough about it to be able to explain why. But they are exactly the same thing. Now, there are two aspects of holiness or sanctification. The word in Greek literally means to be set apart. All right? Just to be set apart. So I'm set apart by God 
to be involved in what we call missional business. I'm set apart by God to be a pastor. That doesn't make me any better than anybody else. It simply means that God has set me apart for that role. But also for all of us, he set us apart for specific roles. But generally, he set us apart to serve him, to be his children, to belong to his kingdom. So one of the things that happens to us when we're saved is we undergo what you might call a change of position. And I've talked to you before how our position changes from that of sinner to that of saint. So before we're saved, God sees us as a sinner. A sinner is merely somebody who hasn't actually responded to the salvation that God has provided for us by his grace. That's all a sinner is. That's why good people go to hell. A sinner is somebody who hasn't responded to the salvation that God has provided by his grace. And obviously, a saint is somebody who has. All right? Similarly, our position changes from being um, unholy or being uh, wicked to being holy or sanctified. In fact, over here, before we're saved, we're really set apart for the purposes of Satan. Your only answer either to God or Satan is only one or the other. But when we're saved, we change position and we become holy or sanctified. Now that might surprise you a little bit because when you hear the word holy, I imagine that that brings to mind a number of images. And the image probably doesn't include me. Right? I probably don't wear the right gear. You know, I haven't got the flowing robes to be holy. I'm not, I'm not a pope, right? I'm not, I'm not a bishop. I'm not even anywhere nearly perfect. Just ask my family. <laughs> Maybe not. Or at least not while I'm around, okay? <laughs> but I'm not. So a lot of people would look at me and the first word that comes into their mind probably wouldn't be Holy. It certainly wouldn't be sanctified. And the reason is we've got a totally wrong conception of what it is to be holy. You know, we've seen those romantic paintings of the baby in the cradle. We've seen those romantic paintings of Jesus with pale, soft-looking skin and beautiful hair and a halo, and we think that's holy. And you never see anybody like that. Well, Jesus wouldn't have looked like that anyway. He was short, fat-ish, and dark-skinned. And he probably didn't wash his hair with shampoo often enough for it to make a difference, and it was probably slightly greasy. Right? The Bible actually says, you know, he wasn't a fair person to look upon. But see, holy is not what you see. Holy is what God sees. So we change our position. But actually, that's not what I want to talk about. Because holiness or sanctification has two aspects. One is position. Our position changes when we make that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ from being unholy or wicked or set apart for the works of Satan. We become set apart 
for the works of God. We come set apart for the purpose of his kingdom. But the position changes, but there's also a process. We, at the same time as having changed position, we actually grow, we develop, we become holy like he is holy. It's actually a process that takes a long time. And that's why I've shocked some people at times by saying, we're going to find sinners in heaven. Now, let, just let me qualify that. I, should actually, I shouldn't say that. We will actually find people in heaven who have sinned. All right? And uh, I was reading a blog the other day. I actually took nearly two days to prepare this because I really wanted to get right into the underlying theology. I don't teach theologically, at least I hope I don't, but I want to make sure that what I do share with you has strong theological foundations. Now, praise God, I was on holidays last week, so I spent nearly two whole days um, working on this. Now I can't remember my point at all. Um, no, it's totally gone, but that doesn't matter. It'll come back later if it's important. If it's not important, it just means I was wasting time. But I want to strongly, strongly, strongly emphasise how important it is to understand that we're all at different points on this journey. And that, that was what I wanted to, to share with you. We're all at different points on this journey. I would actually say that my daughter Ainsley is a more holy person than I am. And I actually look to her, believe it or not, for inspiration and encouragement and as an example, because she's got a, a kind of faith I'd love to have. And that was, she, she demonstrated that through those eight years of prayerful waiting for the birth of Evangeline. And she's done it with other things as well. I can remember when she was about 17 or 18, we had a hire car. And uh, at that time, we had this pretty old Subaru station wagon and the, the kids were a bit embarrassed when I drove them places in it because it was getting pretty old. Anyway, we had a hire car and Ainsley said, gee, I wouldn't mind if we had a car like this. I said, well, why don't you pray for it? Well, ultimately, it's interesting. God woke me up one morning, early in the morning, and said, go to the bank and consolidate all your loans because we had a mortgage and we had a bit of um, credit card debt and whatnot. So I thought, okay, I'll do what God says. It's usually a good idea if God speaks, do what he says. So I went off to the bank and made some inquiries and they said, yeah, yeah, we can do all that. And this is how much the repayments will be. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what? This is pretty incredible. We consolidated our loan, so we've got our mortgage and we, we, we put everything into the mortgage, actually. And then we got another $20,000 to go buy a car, right? And the payments didn't increase. We actually got our car for nothing. So I had a particular car in mind, which fit the budget, and off we go. And... Um, this car, by the way, it was a Mitsubishi Magna. Best car we've ever had. You guys drive a Magna. The Magna, oh, I think maybe my Stavic is better because it's got more room in it. But up until I bought my Stavic, the, the Magna we owned was by... It was a more comfortable car to drive than a Ford Fairlane, and I'd driven Ford Fairlanes at work. Um, but it brilliant motor car. So these guys, are, these guys have chosen well. Anyway... Um, we went to a Mitsubishi dealer and we didn't have 
enough money to buy a, a new Magna, and I was looking at a, a Lancer. Anyway, we saw this Magna in the, in the showroom, and I said, we'd really like a car like that. And he actually said, well, what about a remanufactured Magna? And uh, these were cars that had been company cars. They put them back through the production line, and they come out with a, a full new car guarantee. It had about 9,000 Ks on the, on the clock, and we actually got it for $20,000. And believe it or not, that car was identical to the higher car that we'd had. Ains had sat in that car, and she said, I, I, you know, I'd like a car like this. I said, you go away and pray about it. We got exactly what she prayed for. And I'll tell you what, I've seen this in her life so often. She's the kind of person, no matter what she's going through, she'll wake up every morning and she'll say, it's going to be a good day. And you know what? I wish I could be like that. So we're not, we're not all there yet, right? Those of, if you've ever driven from Sydney to Brisbane via the New England Highway, you'll see all these signs up that say, are we there yet? And it'll say, well, you know, one and a half hours to go, etc., etc. Well, I'm not there yet. And I dare say none of you are either. But that's okay. Now I remember why I was wanting to tell you about the blog. I read a blog yesterday, and, and the guy who writes this blog, I know him, I know him quite well, but he totally rejects this idea that God has supplied everything we have need of by grace, and he gets on to talking about, you know, if we don't live holy lives, we're going to hell. Well, guess what? If he's right, I'm going to hell. Because I don't meet the standard all the time. Think about it. Let's say you get cross with me because I'm taking too much time and I'm keeping you away from the beautiful morning tea and you have a sinful thought, I wish you'd have a heart attack so I can go and have some chips or something like that. Now what happens if you have the heart attack and you die and you don't get a chance to repent? You're going to heaven or hell. See, that's the problem with the line of argument that says every time you sin, Noella, Noelia, you've got to repent. You've repented already. That's what happened when you were saved. It's not a license to sin. Go read Romans 6, where Paul makes it very clear, by no means is God's grace an excuse for sin. But by his grace, the blood of Jesus covers our sin. And our faith response to the grace of God by which we are saved includes water baptism, includes baptism in the Holy Spirit and includes a commitment to engage with the Holy Spirit throughout this process by which our position becomes our behaviour. And we live lives that are holy, sanctified lives. I get really, really passionate about this because I've, I believe, I sincerely believe that one of the reasons why there are so many backsliders on earth today is that there are a lot of people who have come to feel they can't meet the standard. The blood of Jesus covers you for that. And some days you, you be like Peppy, you'll fall off your chair. Spiritually speaking, I mean. <laughs> right, he fell off a chair. Well, <laughs> it was the most embarrassing thing that's happened to him probably in the last five years. 
But we do that. We fall off our chairs spiritually. But that's why Jesus died. So we could pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and start ourselves over again. If you stuff up, you're not going to hell. If you stuff up, you do better next time by the grace of God. Let me read you two encouraging scriptures. See, I don't need to discourage you. You get plenty of that every day. What I want to do is to encourage you, and I I sincerely believe in this truth that I'm sharing. And you know, the Bible says, if you're going to be a preacher, you're going to be held to a higher standard. So I don't preach like this lightly. I believe it sincerely. Because if you can't believe this, then the message of grace is simply a lie. And I don't believe it to be a lie. Let me read for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, this is the New Living Translation, by the way. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already. You live this way already. And we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, to be sanctified. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honour. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And the the teaching that Paul is referring to here is the teaching that we are under grace and We are to be holy where holy or sanctified is understood not just as a position but also as a process. Romans 12, 1-2 And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because because of all he has done for you. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, a kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And that includes getting a mindset that says, as a child of God, as someone who lives right now in the kingdom of God, I'm entitled to an inheritance that not only includes my salvation, but divine health and divine prosperity. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. By way of reminder, I've mentioned this a number of times this year when we're talking about faith, that our faith is in God and because our faith is in God, we believe his promises. 
So our faith in God comes through our relationship with Jesus. It's a relational thing. We have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we believe his promises. So our faith is not really in divine health and divine prosperity. Our faith is in God. But we believe the promises of health and prosperity. The promise of flourishing. We believe the promise because we have faith in, we trust our God. Australian Christian Churches, ACC, which we are a part of, of course, in, they, have a statement of, they have a statement of belief. They also have a more detailed statement of doctrine. But their statement of belief says this, We believe that the Bible is God's word, accurate, authoritative and applicable to our everyday lives. So when you take the Word of God, when you take the Bible, and when you read a promise of God in here, you can believe that it is truth because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit himself and it brings to us the truth of the heart of God. There are two other statements from ACC that I want to um, share with you. Again, these are statements of belief. God has individually equipped us so we can successfully achieve his purpose for our lives. Our purpose is threefold, according to ACC, to worship God. And we worship God not only by coming to a service on Sunday and raising our hands and singing. We worship God by offering everything to him our work, our family life, everything we do can actually become an altar on which we make a living sacrifice to our God. So God has a purpose for every single one of us and that will be outworked in the way in which we worship. It will be outworked in the way in which we connect with, engage with church and the way in which we serve the whole community. And the second point I want to make is that ACC believes that God wants to heal and transform us so we can live healthy and prosperous lives in order to help others more effectively. So our health, our prosperity is not only for our own enjoyment, but is for the benefit of others. I want to leave you with a different take on the definition of faith. I've talked to you about the fact that our faith is relationally based. It's based on our relationship with God. We have faith in God. We trust Him with our very lives. And uh, part of the testimony that Mark and Pamela had was that they got to a point where they actually had no choice but to trust their daughter to God. I think, didn't you say there were only three people who had survived? Honey was the third, that's correct. So, you know, all the facts, all the medical evidence was saying she's going to die. Honey was on the worship team this morning, <laughs> right? They trusted God. The reason they could believe the promise that God made to them was that they had developed a trust in God through 
relationship with him. Now, there's a, a famous passage in Hebrew, Hebrews 11, of course, is known as the faith chapter. It's where um, the writer of Hebrews expounds on faith. And uh, if you go and have a look at my blog, if you go to the church website, which is ignitelife.church, ignitelife.church, click on life blogs and you'll see I've already written a blog about this. And I've actually shown you the text that is the best known text from the King James Version or the New King James Version. I've shown you the Amplified Bible text and then I've shown you the Rodson Hill Amplified Bible text, which is what I've got up here now. So the, the statement that most people are able to recite is in white. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And a lot of people can just roll those words off their tongue easily. But it's not so easy to really understand what it all means. So in yellow, that's got the rods until amplified bits, all right? So now let's read it like this. Now faith is expressed as the substance, an unshakable belief in what God has promised by his grace of things hoped for or confidently expected. Faith is the evidence, again, unshakable belief in what God has promised by his grace of things not seen with the natural eyes, but seen with the eyes of faith. Why is faith expressed as? Well, if we have a look in Mark 11, verses 22 to 24, I won't read through all that for lack of time. But it says there, have faith in God. And as I've said so often, as we've been teaching on faith this year, our faith is in God. We believe his promises. There are two or three other references in the epistles to having faith in Jesus Christ. See, our faith is in a person. Our belief is in the promises made by the person. In exactly the same way. See Danny with Joey? Just keep doing that, Danny. Now, isn't Joey enjoying that? <laughs> he is. He's enjoying that, isn't he? Yeah, look at him. He's got a big smile. You see, the reason why Danny can do that is that Joey has faith in Danny because Danny's his dad. And when Danny promises him a birthday party, no, I think Emma might have done that. Yeah, it would have been Emma. It was <laughs> anyway. I tell you what, Emma did a lot of work. I can tell. I can vouch for that because I was there. I could see it. But see, Joey trusts him, and he believes his promises. And he believes his promises because he trusts his dad. Now, he might not trust me to do the same thing and he might not believe any promise I make because we don't have the same relationship. Do you see that? So that's why in Mark 4, we're told, have faith in God. And in the epistles, have faith in Jesus Christ. So faith is expressed as the substance. Now, the words translated substance and Evidence are very similar. They're not the same Greek words, but they're very similar. They do mean unshakable belief or unshakable confidence in what God has promised by His grace. See, it's by His grace... I'm, I'm sorry I'm going over time, but I think this is so important. It's by His grace we don't earn it. We don't earn it. 
Jeanette and I have never done anything to earn what we have in Christ. We've never done anything. You couldn't. You couldn't. How could any of us earn the death of Jesus Christ? How could any of us earn the benefits of salvation? How could any of us earn the blessing of being in the kingdom of God? There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't do anything by our own effort. It's by His grace. The things hoped for, biblical hope is a confident expectation. Why? Because we believe the promises. So faith is also the evidence, again, unshakable belief in what God has promised by His grace. Things we don't yet see. You know, Ainsley didn't see Evangel- Evangeline until, well, I suppose the first, um, what do you call those things? Ultrasound. Ultrasound. But, you know, she, it wasn't until she was born. In fact, she didn't see her straight after she was born because she wasn't breathing and got raced off to um, intensive care. But she saw her a little while later. But she had faith a long time before she fell pregnant. In fact, I remember saying to us one day, I know exactly how we're going to tell you when we fall pregnant. And they did. It was, it was, they just took us out for lunch and um, gave us each a book. And my book said, Grandpa. <laughs> and Jeanette's book said, Grandma. We thought, Ooh, something's going on here. <laughs> it was great. But, so she, she, see, she had that confident expectation that it was going to happen. Despite what medical reports said, it was going to happen. You see that? So, there you go. If you want to take home definition of faith, there you have it. It is actually in the blog. If you want to get a print out of the blog, it's a pretty good blog, by the way, because I wrote it. It took me a whole day to write. It's only about 500 words. So, if you go to the church website, ignitelife.church, click on Life Blogs and you'll find it. But also, this will be up on iTunes within the next couple of days. I do apologise again that I have gone over time. I don't like to go past a quarter to ten. Uh, uh, sorry, a quarter to 11. <laughs> a quarter to 11. But I really think this is a really important message. So guys, just, just don't ever feel condemned because you haven't reached that level and don't feel that you're going to go to hell because you haven't reached that level. That's not true. If it, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus and for his broken body, it would be. But because Jesus died for us, his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us to bring us into the new covenant, that did actually happen. It's an historical fact well attested to, not only by what we read in the Bible, but historians of the time and witnesses of the time. So by faith we respond initially to that Offer of salvation by grace. By faith we respond through water baptism. By faith we respond through receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And by faith we respond by making a heartfelt commitment to engage in this process of becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus every day as we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us through life. Love you guys.